indeed a blessing to be with you this evening. It's always a privilege to be able to speak the Word of God. Let's take this opportunity to go to Father in order of prayer. Father, we love you and praise you, and we thank you, Father, for being our Lord and being our God. We pray, Father, that you'll be with us as we allow your word to speak to us so that we might better be what you would have us to be, so that we might live lives that reflect and glorify Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. We live in a world that doesn't believe what we believe. We live in an unbelieving culture. And so the question then, is this is a question really Peter's answering in 1 Peter, is how is it that I can be faithful when some around me are trying to encourage me not to be? What is it that I need to do to make certain that I'm the kind of person that God would have me to be? And in answering this question, and I want you to get your Bibles out, and I want you to keep them open because we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture. To answer this question, what, what, or the way Peter answers this question, is by very clearly revealing to us by what he writes that in order to survive in this unbelieving culture, what I really need is to allow myself to be constantly and continually focused on Christ. But that's really what it is all about. And so we're going to look at this letter before we get to the text that was read in your hearing, which we might get to this evening, we might get to next Sunday night. But we're going to go through this letter and look what, with, to what Peter has to say about Christ. Let's begin at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter then is saying, I'm a special messenger of Jesus Christ. But you know what else Peter is saying? Peter is saying that when he says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's saying, who I am is defined by Jesus Christ. It's not defined by the culture around me. It's not defined by what my wife wants or what my boss wants or what anybody else wants. Who I am, each and every day, when I get out of bed every morning, who I am as I live that day, who I am is to be defined by Jesus Christ. No, I'm not a special messenger of Christ, but I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. And so my life then is to be defined by Him. Now, Drop down with me to verse 2. He mentions the fact that we are the elect in Christ. We are God's chosen people. But then look down to verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit will enable me through his power, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus as, now look at what it says in that phrase, as I learn to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. So all my life, everything I do is to be in obedience to Jesus Christ. Nothing in my life should be out of obedience to Christ. Now that's not always easy to do because sometimes it's difficult to understand just exactly what Jesus wants us to do. But we are to look to the word of God as best we can and recognize that our lives are to be obedient to Jesus. So I need to ask myself, is this attitude that I have, is it, is it obedient to Jesus? This action that I want to do, is it obedient to Jesus? Is what I'm doing what Jesus would have me to do? 
And this is something that, that should be on my mind each and every day of my life. Is who I am one who happens to be obedient to Jesus in all things? I get in trouble when I think like this sometimes. Because every once in a while, I'm not nice to my wife. No, that's not being obedient to Jesus. Every once in a while, I get a little bit upset with people when they pull in front of me in the car or when they get in front of me in the grocery market with a whole bunch of stuff and they just push away. I get very upset. Well, how am I to be obedient to Jesus? What does it mean in those cases to be obedient to Jesus? I need to sit down. I need to think about it. I need to figure it out. But, you know, to be obedient to Jesus, what I also need to do, I need to spend time over and over and over and over again. I need to read and reread and read again Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I need to see exactly what Jesus was like. I need to understand the commandments of Jesus. I need to see how, how he related to God and how he related to others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And now I'm getting too fast. I'll slow down. But the whole point here is I need to... Study those. And you know why we study four Gospels? Because one wasn't enough. And besides that, each Gospel writer is writing to his audience, and he has something a little bit different that he wants to say about Jesus. And so he has something that maybe the other writers don't have. And so we need to study all of them, all four Gospels, over and over again. And then we need to look at them and say, okay, now is my life a life? that is characterized by, by an obedience to Christ, because my culture is not to define me. Jesus is. My obedience is not to be to my culture, it's to be to Jesus. I'll go down to verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Knows that. He's our Lord. He's not just my Lord. He's our Lord, isn't he? So we're in this together, aren't we? So you're supposed to help me be like Jesus. I'm supposed to help you be like Jesus. Isn't that what it's all about? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for our salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Have you ever noticed how in this culture, seemingly right now, there's very little hope? And if there is hope, it's placed in the wrong thing. Your favorite politician, don't place your hope in him, whoever he might be. Don't place your hope in anything but God. But what we're told here is that we have a living hope because Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, and so I have a living hope in him, and no matter what this culture tells me, I know I have that living hope in him, and I know that when I die, that I'll be resurrected again, because Jesus was resurrected again, and I'll be able to spend all eternity with God. So I live in this world that has little hope, and I live with hope. And I'm looking forward... To, to, to a place where I'll be where the moment I will get there, it'll be just as great, if we can tell time, millions of years later as it was when I got there. You ever wonder how wonderful that is? Remember one time when I got a new, new, new bicycle for my, for my birthday. It was a, a 
26-inch bicycle. I really like that bicycle. You know, about a week, well, it was all dinged up and scratched and everything else. Didn't look near as pretty as it did the first day I got it. When I'm with God for all eternity, from the minute I get there forever and ever and ever, it'll always be great. Isn't that rather amazing when you think about it? And then look at what else he says down in verse 5. You know, you talk about security, and, and Kerry talked about this a lot, and I talk about this a lot. I grew up believing that you, never, you could never know whether or not you were saved. Other people teach you, you, once you're saved, you can never be lost. Well, what the Bible teaches is, neither one of those, the Bible teaches that, yes, you can have security, but the security is in Christ, and the security is if you continue in faith, and listen to verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So if I continue in faith, no matter what this culture does, who am I guarded by? What's it say? Who by God's power are being guarded. So how can this world destroy me? It can't. I'm guarded by the power of God. And these are tremendous truths. Continue now with me at verse 6. And this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Any of you have been grieved lately? Sometimes I get grieved just by, by being me. Maybe that doesn't grieve any of you. In this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that per perishes. Here, see something important here. Your faith is more pressure, precious than gold that perishes. Now, what do you do with something that's precious? You protect it, do you not? So what do you do with your faith? Do everything you can that will help your faith grow and leave everything alone that won't. Is that rocket science? I don't think so. That's kind of that, that, that's simple. So that the genuine of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found, now listen, may be found to result in plays, in glory, in honor, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You want praise and glory and honor when this life is over? Then continue in Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. I live in a culture that doesn't seem to me to really teach me a whole lot about love. But I love Jesus because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. I love Jesus because te Jesus teaches me how to live in a way that will enable me to be the kind of person that God created me to be. And what is really powerful here, it says with... In, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, here I have to admit something to you. I tend to be, some of you know me, some of you don't know me that well, but I tend to be a person of melancholy. And that means joy is tough for me. And I don't always feel this inexpressible joy. So when I'm not feeling this inexpressible joy, I have a question for you. 
When I'm not feeling joy, who am I supposed to blame? Well, since God has promised me joy, it's not God, so who do I blame? I blame me. Because obviously, I'm not doing the things I need to do to experience that, that joy that God wants me to experience. Maybe, maybe I'm more focused on me than, I'm on, than I am on God and others. Maybe that's it. And so I need to be more focused on God and on others and what I can do for others. But look at verse 9. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, out, obtaining in this verse is in the present tense. And this means this is not something we get when we die. This is something we're getting right now. Right now, I'm experiencing the salvation of my soul. And soul here doesn't mean that part of being separate from my body. It simply means who I am. I'm obtaining salvation through my relationship with Jesus Christ. Because through Jesus Christ, I'm being delivered from things that destroy other people. I don't say this to brag. I've been a Christian since I was 12. So that's why I say, you know, I've never been drunk a day in my life. Never have. I've never had any of the struggles that a lot of other people I know have had. And it's not because I'm so wise and because I'm so great. You all know that's not the case. But rather, it's because since I was 12 years old, I've been a servant of Jesus Christ. And all those things that seem to destroy everybody else, I've been delivered from them. Through Christ. And that's a glorious thing, is it not? Isn't that something that, that, that's really wonderful and, and, and tremendous? Now turn over to verse 14 of chapter 1. He writing, now he's writing to, to Gentile people, or, or many of them are Gentile. He says that obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct. That's from Leviticus. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. See, my, this is not, not where I belong. Don't draw my values in this culture. Knowing, now listen, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Listen to the power of verse 19 but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Now, if God purchased me with the blood of his son, is God going to let me fall if I continue in him? Absolutely not. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times, for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, then I can put my faith and my hope in God, and I know that God is more powerful than this culture, so I'm not going to allow this culture to determine who I am, and I know this culture cannot destroy me. If I continue in Christ Jesus. Now go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 5 with me. For you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, being a holy priesthood, to offer 
spiritual sacrifices acceptable to the God through Jesus Christ. Now here's something amazing. You ever think about who you are? You know, in the, in the big world of things, I'm an absolute nobody. When I die, no one's going to put the flag at half-mass. There might be a little obituary in a local newspaper that probably takes up about that much space. That's it. I'm not important in this world. But I can offer praise to God. I can sing to God. And all these things I can offer to God because of my relationship to Jesus Christ, all these things, I can give things that are acceptable to God. So I certainly can't look at myself as nothing, can I? Because I can do through Christ that which is indeed acceptable to God. And those are tremendous truths. And then in, if you go over to chapter 2, we don't have time to begin at verse 14. We're going to look at verse 21. But let me tell you what's going on here. Peter is saying, now, if you have a, if you have a, a master, if you're a... This is not the word doulos, it's for a house servant. If you're a house servant and, and, and you have a master who is evil to you, then you continue to, to do good to the master who is evil to you because you determine who you are by Christ and not by your master, not by your culture, not by what the world says. You determine it by Christ and that's the way Christ wants you to live. Now listen to verse 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Now listen, leaving you a what? Leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Now he's my example. I'm to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was seat found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued and trusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So the one who died for me is to be my example. Look again at the power of that 24th verse. He bore our sins in his body in a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And where am I going to get the most fulfillment? By living to righteousness. Have you, ever, have you ever in your life seen a selfish person who was truly happy? I don't think I have. Maybe you have. Maybe one up on me. But I never have. But we'll be happy even if we suffer. If we're dedicated to, do, if we're dedicated to Jesus. And if we live righteous lives. And look at that. It's by his wounds that I have been healed. It's not because of me that I'm going to be able to spend eternity with God. It's because of what Christ has done for me on the cross. And then over at verse 15, after he tells us that we need to be doing, we need to, to if we suffer for doing righteousness, then we know we'll be blessed. We're not to fear those who stand against us. But then he says in verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ 
maybe put to shame. Now, what we need to do at verse 15, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Okay, how do I do that? Well, that's what he tells me in the next phrase. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is within you. In other words, that's how I honor Christ. I'm always being prepared to give an answer. Now, that doesn't mean I need to know the cosmological argument or the teleological or all that kind of stuff. If you want to learn that stuff, go ahead. I've got a hundred books I can give you. Read on it till you turn purple, if you like. And you can learn all that stuff if you want to. But what this is really saying is that what I need to do is I need to tell people why I believe I'm saved in Jesus. And every Christian should be able to do that. They should be able to say, this is why I believe I'm saved in Jesus Christ. And then, really, look at verse 16. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who are vile, your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They're to see my good behavior in Christ. See, what that's telling me is that I live in this wicked, wicked world where people want to pounce on me. And, and when people want to pounce on me, I go and give them a helping hand. I do good to them even though they do evil to me. Probably don't have time for this little story, but I'll tell it to you anyhow. I remember one time I went to a basketball game, and this guy sitting behind me was one of these clowns that's always yelling at the referee. I guess I shouldn't say this. One of these gentlemen that was always yelling at the referee, and the referee finally made the call, and... Uh, a good call, and this guy was screaming in my ear, and so I just turned around and I said, that was a good call. And he says, he says to me, you want to go out in the parking lot? You want to go out? You know, he gets all like that with me, so I just watched the rest of the game. Uh, when the game was over, he was walking out. I walked out to him and held up my hand, and I said, I'm sorry if I interfered with, with your watching the basketball game. His mouth dropped. If I would have said, let's go out in the parking lot, you think he would have known what to do? But the way I responded, he had no idea what to do. And that's kind of what it is to, to, to be the kind of person who's going to do good no matter what people are doing for you. We're going to look at verse 18 in a moment, but go down now to verse 4, for chapter 4, verse 1. Since for there, and this is a... a a difficult verse, but listen to what it says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, for whoever has, has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, the one thing it tells me here, what kind of thinking is to be going on in my head? What kind of thinking is to be going on in your head? The same kind of thinking that went on in his head. What does that mean? That means that he was willing to suffer before he would do those things that were contrary to God's will. And the whole idea here is that if I'm willing to suffer in the flesh for doing the right, then I demonstrate the way I'm living that I'm done with sin. That sin will no longer control me because I'm willing to suffer in the flesh to do the will of God. And then turn over to chapter 4. Look at verse 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. There'll be fiery trials. When it comes to you to test you as though something strange is happening to you. But rejoice insofar 
as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And now listen to verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you who are blessed, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. You know, I'm not really fully sure what that means. But I know one thing. It sure sounds good. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? The spirit and glory of Christ, the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. And then verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. If this culture is going to beat up on me because I'm a Christian, I'm going to glorify God because I believe in Jesus. And then lastly, look at verse chapter 5. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now listen, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, now listen to this, who has called you, to his eternal glory in Christ. Will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Doesn't that kind of make goosebumps run up and down you? Listen to that. Who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Now all we've done is went through 1 Peter and looked at what 1 Peter had to say about Christ. Now what then is the message of Peter? The message is simple. In this unbelieving world, if you want to stay faithful, in this unbelieving world, if you want to become all that God would have you be, then you stay focused on Jesus. And you live each day trying to honor him. And we do that. And that's when we experience that joy that he's talking about. But now, quickly, because I don't want Tom's reading to go totally to waste, we'll get to this next week. Look at verse 14 now of chapter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now notice verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, and then look at the four. The four in verse 18 means, listen to what I just said in verse 17. And so what he's saying is, that's just exactly what Jesus did. He suffered for doing good. And so we are to suffer for doing good. Again, the idea is we are to follow Jesus, but that's probably not the main thought here. The main thought here is, that because of what Christ has did, because it says in Hebrews that he suffered for the joy that was set before him, because of what he did, he died once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I'm brought to God through what Jesus Christ was willing to do on the cross. That is the thing then that is really to, to, to grip me 
and inspire me. And we'll look at the difficult part of this next week. But that's re what, what's really to inspire me and, 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 and to encourage me is the fact that I know because of Jesus I've been brought to God. But then look at something else I'll share with you here. He says, suffered for one sense, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was righteous, I wasn't, he suffered for me. But then this tells me something else about following Jesus. And, and, and that means something very, very simple. And that means that I'm willing to go out here in this world... And I'm willing to, to offer myself in the service to the unrighteous. I'm willing to, to, to mingle with the unrighteous who might hurt me. Because that's what Jesus did. The righteous for the unrighteous. Now a sermon isn't a sermon. Until it's over and it's over. Almost. Just a minute more. What does, all, what, what does all this mean? What it means is, and I'll talk first about me. <laughs> know me better than I do anybody else. I'll talk first about me. What it means is that I need to be careful that I don't allow myself to be controlled by this world, but I need to be, I don't need to be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of my mind. By keeping my mind each and every day focused on Christ. Now remember what Peter is doing. These Christians are suffering. These Christians are suffering persecution. I don't think it's primarily state-sponsored persecution. It's persecution by their neighbors who don't believe. And they're suffering. The same kind of suffering we're suffering. And Peter says, okay, you want to really live through all this. And you want to really be the kind of people that God wants you to be. Then keep your focus on Christ and live the way he'd live, love God and love the others, and even love those who hate you. And then you'll be what God would have you to be. And then you'll experience that joy that God wants you to experience. And isn't it good to know that we can experience this all through Jesus Christ? Now, if you're not a Christian, you don't have that privilege. But you can become one by simply... Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, by confessing that before man, by repenting of your sins, by being immersed in water to identify with him, with his death, with his burial, and his resurrection. And then as Paul says in Romans 6, to rise, to walk in the newness of life. You can do that this evening. And to those of us who are Christians, let me just ask you, but it's probably not... good sermon preparation to end with a question. But, okay, maybe I'll do a poor thing. How focused are you on Christ? Let's be focused on Christ. Each and every day, thinking about him, obeying him, loving him, and loving one another. If you need Jesus, come as we stand and sing.